Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we are joined by former Captain Daniel Wheeler, who's the current president of Sunbelt Design and Development. Uh, Daniel recently bought a business. Uh, he's gonna walk us through that process of selecting a business to buy and, and talk us through what it's been to uh, transition and lead a business uh, that was bought just on the precipice of the, uh, the pandemic. So Daniel, thanks for joining us today. Uh, if you could please start off by telling us a little bit more about the business and yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is cool what you have going on here. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so uh, Sunbelt Design Development, we closed um, 3 March of this year. So, you know, right in the mouth of, of this, uh, of the, the beginning of this wild world that we find ourselves in now. Um, um, which we'll touch on that here in a little bit, but, uh, so we were ground support equipment manufacturer to all of the large primes, uh, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, uh, BAE, Lidos, um, and all of the services. So the army, Navy, air force, um, providing, you know, very core, um, operating, type line items um, to the DOD, you know, very, very core um, function uh, requirement from the DOD. So a nice little niche market that, that, you know, goes on regardless of, of pretty much whatever else happens in the world. So, uh, so yeah. just, just for our listeners, DOD is Department of Defense. Yeah. Uh, sounds like you guys are an aerospace manufacturing company. Yeah. Um, yeah. We do a lot of um, um, short run, build to print job shop type work, um, uh, fixtures, um, missile uh, containers and tow bars, slings, uh, different engine stands and hoists and uh, you name it, we'll make it for you. If it's got a print or we can design it and we can build it and, and get it out the door. So that's, that's, our, that's our core function where we're at right now. And, and so all of the internal capability, manufacturing capabilities and, and yeah, so we, source raw materials. Yeah, so we source our materials. Comes in the front here. We've got a couple guys on on various saws. Um, so we generally first step cut the materials, move it through the shop. We have uh, in-house welding. Um, we have um, quite a few uh, CNCs um, out there on the floor of all different sizes and different uh, um, different capabilities. Um, uh, that'll move through the shop and we've got a couple of paint booths and, and uh, assembly facilities and, um, and then ship out the back door kind of end to end solution here. Nice. Nice. And, yeah. and you're located in San Antonio, Texas, San Antonio, Texas, pretty near downtown. Absolutely. And how many employees do you have? 50 right at 50. Wow. wow. So we're... Nice. Yeah. Appreciate the, uh, the overview of the business. Talk us through a little bit about the, the process of identifying Sunbelt and, and what made that an attractive target for you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I guess I'll back up a little bit to provide some context because it's this is a very non-traditional way, I think, of, of coming at this thing. Um, so it, it, while I was in the military, still in active duty, um, I, I knew I was getting out, knew I was going to hit the exit after my, the completion of, of that tour that I was on. I was living in Germany at the time. Um, um, went, knew that I wanted to do my own thing. You know, the options were coming out of the military, either go to school or go to industry or, you know, it's pretty defined paths. And 
And so for me, it was either MBA and kind of MBA, MBA, MBA. Um, but that wasn't super exciting. So I wanted to do my own thing. Um, came across the, uh, the search fund concept, which is, for those that don't know, is effectively a, a fundless sponsor, an independent sponsor, um, acquisitive entrepreneurship, whatever you want to call it. There, there's an infinite you know, number of permutations to approach this and to structure these deals, but, but effectively a fundless sponsor. Um, uh, went deep down the Google rabbit hole, all the Stanford literature, the Harvard literature, um, the, the just really, you know, ate that up, got excited about it. it was far more appealing than going back to, to school, you know, coming out of the military. Um, didn't know which way was up when I first, you know, this had to have been late 2015 when I first, um, you know, started figuring this out, um, really industry agnostic, um, no real, you know, sense for what, what made sense or what I could credibly sell to an investor uh, to back me on, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which we'll get into in a little bit here. Um, uh, it's vitally important to, to have a credible position when you approach this, uh, which, which lesson learned, you know, five years uh, in, in the past here. Um, uh, yeah. So, so approached that went through a number of different industries, um, a number of different ways, very brute, brute force in nature, right? So very, um, there wasn't a lot of finesse to it um, as far as, as uh, you'll see folks hire interns or, or go through this, this subscribe to all these databases or, or do all these other things that, that um, mine was very brute force, right? Well, just a lot of time, a lot of of manual effort and a lot of persistence, you know, to sort of work through um, uh, my thinking about how to approach getting something done. Question, question for you on that. Yeah. So, and it may have just been serendipitous, right? So Air Force captain in a aerospace manufacturing business dealing in spaces where it makes sense. Um, yeah. For someone who doesn't know the journey in between, um, it seems like the natural choice and fit. And so, yeah. Uh, when you say you were industry agnostic, were you looking? What were you looking for? Like, what was? So uh, I'll give you an a- example. My f- the first business I looked at um, was a RV service and repair business. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's a good. It's, I took it to some investors. Like, hey, it was a good, good business. Um, a very niche market, you know, probably not a whole, whole lot of growth upside and something like that. Right. Um, but, but it was a good business. It was, the financials were strong, um, had a great reputation It had a you know, great facility and, and good team already there working. And so it was, it was positioned to be, it'd been around for like 37 years at that point. It was a very strong, um, business. But when I, I, I took him, I was real excited to, to a couple of investors and, and they said, Hey, great. Um, you know, why, why would you be the guy to run a, an RV service and repair business? Right. And so that, that helped. It wanted made me stop and, and say, well, it's a good point. Like, why would I be the guy to run a, you know, an RV service and repair business? What do you know about the RV industry? Well, nothing, you know? Um, and so that, that helps me get my head in a different position, sort of view, have an honest bit of self-reflection about what I knew or what I could credibly say that I, I knew. Um, and it was all, 
you know, my background's all military, right? All defense and acquisition and, and uh, strategic planning and finance and uh, it's all defense related. Right. So that, that distilled pretty quickly into, you know, where I, I thought that I could credibly bring something to the table. Got it. Excellent. No, and thank you for that, that clarification. Uh, some of our, our, our uh, audience here have, have heard from some other speakers around the search fund model. And, and, and I think your approach of looking and doing the inventory or having the investors prompt you to do the inventory of what value you would ultimately bring to the business and then uh, narrowing your search uh, is a real critical point and I think really important for, for buyers and, and for sellers as well as they're looking for, uh, for uh, the next person to take over the business to, to understand that there's got to be a story around what makes the, uh, the future owner a, a credible uh, person to be able to lead that business into the future. Yeah. And uh, now I will say um, it's complicated, but, but so much of this, it is not rocket science, right? Like this is not, I'm not splitting the atom here when, when we, <laughs> right. you know, when we approach, um, uh, it's leading people, it's getting people to, um, rally around some sort of shared goal, um, coaching up the culture, coaching up, um, you know, people that have probably had little to no, um, professional, management professional sort of guidance and high expectation and the setting of standards um and that that's in the general sense in almost all of these closely held um legacy family oriented businesses that have been around for forever right, right about the same size um you know they're, they're trucking along doing great um the owner's probably taken off it, you know it's the american dream right but but you come into a place like this it's there's a huge effort um, kind of regardless of what the company is to, to professionalize and coach up and, and put a lot of um, um, sophistication and not really that, but a lot of business one-on-one type processes um, in place while, you know, rallying the people and, and, and coaching up talent to, to hopefully meet uh, whatever that vision is. Yeah. That's, that's I'm going kind of to, I'm going to put a I'm going to put a, a placeholder on that because I think first I'd like to to acknowledge that you know that is non-trivial to come in and lead and create a culture of performance and success and want to get your perspective more deeply on on that in this organization. I want to gloss over it, but I do want to make sure we go back and finish up kind of your journey. Yeah. Um, on identifying the business and and yeah. what made that decision for you. Yeah. So, so Sunbelt, um, uh, in this market size, there's a lot of crap, right? There's just a lot of kind of business. My outlook going through this was, you know, some businesses just shouldn't exist and, and some should. And, and, you know, that's, that's sort of, um, like sort of the ultimate capitalistic kind of free market view on it. Right. That, but, but you look at, and I'm sure you've looked at and, uh, enough of these that, you, you know, you see some businesses that, that probably just shouldn't change hands and, and have been great, but, but aren't going to be able to function um, apart from the founder or in the market that, that they are in, the segment that they are in. And that's fine. Um, but so, so that was my outlook sorting through kind of what was out there, how I approached um, 
businesses, business owners that I identified um, um, or how I look through you know, the aggregated website listings of brokers. And so it's sort of two angles to finding it was, was businesses that were not for sale and businesses that were listed uh, biz by sell or BizQuest or, or any of these other you know, hundreds of websites that, that put them out there. Um, so, so going through that, this was actually listed uh, by a mutual, a mutual friend, a guy that we both know, and and he was great to work with and 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 super helpful in in um, um, getting the deal done. But Sunbelt made sense. It, it was a business I knew, um, highly fragmented market, just an enormous amount of people um, in this space. A very blue collar, very dirty. Um, kind of unsexy in the, you know, in the Warren Buffett sense of unsexy yeah. industries that, that put cash off. And, and, and so it was, it was attractive um, from that angle. It, it had a, it had been around for 30 years. Um, it, it had viable, defensible operations. Um, it was in a segment that was not, it was wide open, just very unsexy, below the line, just wide open, right? And so there was no, like the Wild West and in, in kind of the, in, in that sense. And it, it, so it was very attractive um, to me in a, in a space that I knew um, that I could sort of come into and understand and, and, and move forward, move the ball down the field on growing it and, and uh, taking it somewhere, you know. So, so share, share a little bit. So you mentioned things like defensible operations, you know, the industry dynamics of so being in a fragmented space, um, where there's opportunity to come in and, and take share, um, big enough space, right, where you can grow the business. Um, what are some of the other factors? So, so you and I both do have a sense and idea of what makes a, a good business uh, and what are businesses yeah. that aren't so attractive. But talk about some of the other factors that you, you may have looked at as you kind of went through that process. Yeah, so, so once I'd identified um, Sunbelt, it was a matter of, of going through um, a lot of this is, is very DOD specific and, and doesn't, you know, kind of apply it outside of that. But, but there's um, things that you make, the parts that we manufacture, the products that we produce, um, taking those, going on, on open, um, you know, government source databases and, and pulling out the different procurement data um, was was kind of that first step in understanding the market that I was playing in. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's not attractive if you buy you know you buy a, a twenty million dollar company in, in a market that does twenty five million. You know, right? right. You're, that's not attractive at all. But but it is very attractive to buy a five or, or ten million dollar company and you are you know one two thousandth of the annual kind of uh, which is where we were at. It, I, I did went through. Added, added it all together, went through the Navy procurement data, uh, the justification books that Congress goes through, through the subcommittees, you know, all this kind of very um, uh, nerdy governmental procurement stuff. But, but it gave a sense of the size of the market that we were in and seeing that we were, you know, just a fragment uh, of the broader market um, and that no one, I mean, there's some sizable some guys out there, but there's not really a, a just a massive dominator in the space. Um, it, it was it was right up my alley, right? That's a uh, that's kind of step one. You want to know that you are there. Um, there's a space for you to play, a space for you to be competitive, and a, and a 
you know, meaningful upside uh, that you can grow uh, through a little bit of sophistication and, and uh, ambition and, and luck, you know, trying to you can grow into there. So that was, that was kind of the first step. And, and um, um, you start thinking about specifically to this, the customer that you're serving. Well, our customers, ultimately the Department of Defense, the United States government, probably the greatest customer you know, on the planet, right? You know, the most reliable customer that you could possibly have would be the United States government. Um, there's, there's very little risk of, of, of that customer failing, um, and which is pretty unique to, to this, this space um, that we're playing in. So that, you know, that, that got me comfortable again at a, at a, at a high level and having been on the other side, you know, also was, was pretty comfortable at a high level there. Then going through the operations and, and understanding um, why customers used us, uh, why, you know, what sort of advantage um, did we have, you know, relative to the other sunbelts of the world um, right. that we could identify and start and start looking at. Um, well, what was that? So what was that advantage that you saw? Yeah, around, we did a lot of customer calls um, during the due diligence process. And, and I did some, some visits um, to go to different military bases and, and spoke to them. And, and there was very high regard for uh, some of past performance, been around 30 years, very reliable, on time, um, um, to spec, you know, as the contract dictated, you know, which is basic stuff, right? There's, there's a lot of just basic, basic things that you're supposed to do when you run a business and when you operate, um, you serve a customer. But, you know, as I've learned the last five months and eight days now, or five months and 10 days now at this point, um, a lot of people don't, are, are not, are not there to do the basic stuff. There's, there's just, any, it's been extremely surprising as uh, dealing with these customers, just how many people you know, completely and totally disregard um, being on time, doing what you're saying you're going to do. Um, and, and so that's the sort of value um, at a, in, uh, from an art stance, you know, that we were kind of bringing to the table there. And, and then there was, um, there's, there's real benefit in having end to end kind of all the capabilities in one spot. You can, you can step up at, in this of service attitude um, to, to work through different um, tolerances and specs and design flaws. And because you have it on the machine, you see, um, you know, flaws start to develop and you can come back and collaboratively work with your customer to, to, uh, to solve them, right? And this very easy up-service attitude um, was a was a pretty pretty strong bent to why people you know, use firms like Sunbelt. There's you know more than just Sunbelt does that, but right. that would be a differentiator um, again in that space. No, that's cool, and, and I appreciate you sharing the 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 perspective, and the context of what you did in diligence. Um, I come from an aerospace background, and so we've chatted about that and. And there are certain organizations that have a culture around the commitments. They're customer centric is a term that we, we used in a, in a previous life and, and things like on-time delivery, um, understanding first pass yield and making sure that product is going out quality, no returns. And uh, again, I like to highlight that for our, our audience as non-trivial to create a business yeah. and a system that delivers that consistently um, takes work 
and, and effort. And so kudos to you for, for recognizing that and, um, and, and being able to, to find a business that already had the foundational uh, legacy around some of those key metrics that customers value in that space. Yeah. Um, any, anything else? I mean, the team comes to mind for me as, as an area that's, that's of critical importance in businesses as you're, uh, as you're going through the acquisition process. Uh, how yeah. And my uh, um, uh, partner in this, yeah, another guy you might want to interview, he, uh, you know, extremely principled, intelligent guy and, and the advisors that we had as we worked through this um, definitely doesn't happen, you know, w without sort of the dumb luck to kind of build these relationships and, and, and step into the right situation to, it, 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 this deal definitely would not have happened um, without that. Yeah, you cannot do this without the right team. Um, I don't know, maybe you can't, but I couldn't have done this without you know the right team uh, and partner and and you know working through all of these these steps to get this deal done. No way it happens. Got it. And I, and and so to me, part of that is is the scale, right? And so you're able to. Uh, what's your a measure, some measure that we could use to to help give a sense of the size of your uh, of your business. What's the? Uh, yeah, so we let's call it sub twenty north of five. Okay, so yeah. I, if we look at a business of that range, right? Like it's there's one thing to try to get into a business that's five hundred thousand, and and there are individuals that can step into that type of organization maybe on, on their own. Um, you know, you, you've been able to, to lever up and, and essentially step into a bigger business in a bigger space, which gives you a huge opportunity on the upside. Uh, and that's what it takes the team to do. So for, for those individuals who are out there considering ways to get into business acquisitions, there are definitely different avenues. Uh, and it sounds like you, you went down one where you're able to find uh, team members and, and uh, financial backers to help get into a, a bigger business. We're able to have a bigger impact um, through the work that you do. So yeah, um, <clears throat> that's great. Can you talk a little bit about advice that you would give to to sellers? So you're in this unique position of you were you've gone through the process as a buyer, uh, and you're now sitting in in the uh, in the president's chair. Uh, and if you have the opportunity to talk to other sellers who are preparing to make that transition, um, what would be the advice that you would give to those individuals? Uh, again, basic one-on-one, but, but books gotta be right. <laughs> you know, grounded in reality. Yeah. Um, if you're about to sell it, um, it's a step one. Like if it doesn't make sense from, from a financial perspective, there's there's very little in the way of magic that you can you can just bring out to to make it make sense, right? It just has to make sense. And so, thirty seconds on that. So I'm going to throw out there for our audience. We're I'm working with a CFO to put together a session on balance sheets. So I know a lot of owners look at profit and loss statements, P&Ls, but we're working on providing some insight around the balance sheet. But when you say the financials, what are you looking at, looking for? What does an owner need to get right in their financials? You have to, well, one, you have to have financials. I guess. <laughs> uh, just 
without assuming, you know, you have to have financials. Um, but two, um, it has to be grounded in, in some sort of basis of fact, right? Like the num what you show on your PL or on your balance sheet. It's all if it's not grounded, if 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 it's not defensible, then like you're you're shooting, you're undermining any you know position you take as far as an asking price or or any sort of terms and negotiation that you start um, um, structuring a deal around. It, it's just got to make sense, right? And, and that's probably one of I've looked at I looked at quite a few of these businesses um, before getting this deal done, and and that's probably if not the number one. I mean, there's a few number ones, but if it just has to make sense. I don't know how many other ways I can say that consult an accountant, um, how you recognize revenue, uh, how you, um, uh, how you, how you account for assets, how you account for inventory. It's just gotta make sense. And you know, so anybody out there ready to sell a company, a consultant accountant um, that has done this before and can, and can help you clean your books up before you go to the table to sell. That's, that, that's way too late to do it at that point. You got to do this, you know, year or two in advance, cleaning up the books, getting some professional help and, and, and making it as nice and defensible and clean. It's not defensible. It's not clean. It, it just begs more questions and pulls more threads and undermines your position. Um, clear value driver. Yep. That, and we, we've talked about that and we will continue to talk about this. Right. Thank you for your insights there. Others, other, other pieces of advice. Yeah. Um, uh, be, be honest, transparent, um, uh, on, I, I mean, as much as yeah, always be honest, always be transparent, right? There's not really a caveat to that. Um, clear communication, um, don't pull anything out at the last and the 11th hour that completely throws a wrench in the deal. Um, there's so much preparatory work that goes into, into preparing one of these companies for sale, um, mixing of assets, personal assets, personal expenses. Um, it's pretty common in, in family, uh, closely held family, family legacy businesses. So, so that's got to all get cleaned up. Um, yeah, it get really one-on-one stuff, but, but, you know, most people skip the basics. So, so, you know, whatever, um, all the stuff is online and in books, but, but got to do the basics. Operations have to be clean. Books have to be clean. Um, clear, clear, uh, you know, processes and, and, and transparency around, um, the workers, around the people that you employ, around the market you're in, around, um, disclosures, right? That's that's all basic stuff, but yep. stuff that is neglected sometimes in this space. I think. No, and, and the call out makes sense. It's what we try to do um, with our owners. Ideally, we have these conversations two years in advance, yep. uh, and and we work with the owners to identify here are the areas that, and the books being one of them. Um, looking at the organization and what they need to do in order to prepare it uh, for sale. Uh, very helpful insight. I did want to come back to the bookmark that we put on leadership uh, and get your perspective on, again, in the president's chair day one uh, on the precipice of a uh, pandemic and potential shutdown. Um, so you're dealing with this complexity of it's a new business, new organization. 
uh, and you've got these external factors that are also convoluting the, uh, the transition. Uh, talk us through that experience and, and what do you think prepared you to be um, successful in navigating the organization through that? Yeah. Um, so there's no playbook for it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> kind of right off the bat, there's no, uh, there, or at least in March, there was no how to navigate your business through a pandemic, right. you know, in the self-help aisle at Half Price Books. Uh, it, it, and I don't know, maybe I've been wrong this whole time. A lot of this has been seat of the pants, kind of gut feel um, on, on working through it. But, but to me, um, the success in doing this with people is being, is being very clear, setting a standard, um, uh, holding a standard, setting expectations of high performance, holding those expectations of high performance, um, uh, setting, uh, you know, values, setting, um, um, how you, how you think about the world and how you think about like where this company, where in this case, our company fits into the world and, and how, um, and where you fit into that sort of spoke on the wheel there that, that, uh, it, 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 that's it's a tough one and it it uh is very see the pants very gut oriented um but i think if you tend towards honesty transparency um you know about the world and about what's going on with your company about what's going on with your business and about um some of the bumps in the road um people will respond to that and i and in a very in a very um the, I'm generally a pretty measured guy, right? I, I, and I think that's very important, right, for for doing this, and and um, you, know, especially in in this environment they're in with a global pandemic and domestic issues and and you know every other you know sort of crisis that seems to pop up every uh, once a month near here now in 2020. Um, clear, transparent even keeled measured set of vision pe drag people along with you and, and 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 not everyone will respond to that and and that's okay right you you um gives you a chance to to fill your bench and fill your talent pool with the people that you want um, and people that will respond to that uh, yeah and that's where we're at right now i think got it any any big surprises or key lessons learned over the last five or six months um since you've taken over uh, where do you want me to start? <laughs> <laughs> so, sounds like there'll be an episode two uh, to this uh, conversation. Um, yeah. Um, look, you're, I, I went into this with, uh, in hindsight, very little expectation about what it would be, which was probably good. Yep. Uh, I, I, and I didn't know, I, I, I didn't know that until reflecting on, on this, you know, a month or two back that, I didn't really have hard and fast expectations about, about what would happen, how this would play out, how successful it would be. I mean, you, you have upsides and base case and downsides and all that. You can model that all out. But just for me, um, and I think that, that helped probably, right? It, it allows for, you don't know what you don't know, right? Coming into this. and. And you can go through diligence and you can model it to death and you can, 
and can model every risk scenario, every downside scenario, everything that can go wrong, um, everything that you know can go right, and and uh, but but ultimately, you know, day one you sit in the seat and and this and the situation's changed. You know, now you you start now everyone comes to you. Everyone tells you all the problems. Everyone tells you all the things that you just didn't get in diligence. Right. You, know, you were there that you may not even realize were, were relevant or valuable to get um, um, during diligence. And, and so the game completely changes day one, minute one, as soon as you sit in the seat. And, and that's what I found here, not least of which the very next Monday we were in you know, the city of San Antonio says we're gonna shut down for, for coronavirus. But, but setting all that aside, just running the business, um, people bring you their problems, being the problems of the business, bring you all of the operational issues that that you were not in the position during diligence to really make, to really understand how significant or insignificant they were right. until you're in the seat and then it hits you square in the face about, you know, something you underweighted was way more significant than, than you gave it credit for. And then think the thing you were worried about is, you know, was no big deal at all. And, and, you know, focus focused on worried about modeling out wasn't really a big deal at all. Um, so lots of surprises. I'll tell you that. Uh, right. But, but nothing, but you know, really, still nothing that um, undermines the thesis for why you know, we pulled the trigger on this. A, a lot of things that I wish I'd known and and wish I'd understood on the front side, but but it, none of it really gets at the core of and changes the thesis and the approach of what my perception of of the value of this company and, and the capability um, and you know the potential upside um, by taking it over. And I'd like to point out two things in there, right? So I think there's there's one of strategy um, and encourage all, whether it be sellers, an operator, a buyer, to understand the overall strategy of what you're trying to accomplish. Because to your point, uh, if you've got some clarity around what's the very big picture, um, and there's a lot of opportunity for volatility kind of on the journey, but as long as the business is on the right track in the right direction, it allows the business to kind of weather that. Um, you talked about uncertainty and scenario planning and being flexible. Your leadership, and, and which is why I wanted you to highlight it and, and kind of talk through the stories, again, non-trivial to be even keeled through that level of volatility, to, to be able to show up as a steady hand with a clear destination um, for the team is paramount to anybody who's leading in any environment. It just, But it becomes ultra critical when there's higher uncertainty or you're in a scenario where there's external pressures like a pandemic. Um, so kudos to you on that. Um, appreciate you spending time with us this afternoon. I'll give you the opportunity to, to share any last thoughts. Uh, and again, I'm gonna invite you back because uh, I think there's a lot more to unpack that, that the audience can, can benefit from. So congratulations, first of all, on, on completing the deal, the first, uh, six months and continued success in the future, but give you the last word on, on any final thoughts for our audience. Uh, if you're out there and you are contemplating buying a company, just do it. Just, just do it. Right. I get so many calls um, every week from, from folks that reach out to me and want to chat for 30 minutes about how can, how can they buy a company? How can they go find a company and close a deal and, and get it done? Um, and, and so many of these guys are super smart, super intelligent, but, but I would, I would put, I would put it at, you know, less than 1% of, of people that actually follow through and, 
and, and close the deal. Find something, take action, move it forward, get it down a field, get it across the finish line and get it done. I mean, there's, there's, this is not a riskless proposition. Um, no one else can validate like your, your decision to do it or not. Um, it, this is a, this is a lonely environment. You, you're going against the grain. And when you, when you decide to do something like this and, and it, and it is not easy for sure, but, but it's very easy to get paralyzed by, you know, sort of the analysis piece of this and look for the exact right, perfect company. Uh, and then you just wind up not doing a deal at all. Um, and you've spent two years looking at companies and a lot of good deals pass you by and you just wind up not doing the deal at all. Um, so that that's, that's probably the number one thing that I convey to most of these guys is and when I get, you know, reach out for advice and have um, conversations like that. So just go out there and do it. Excellent. And on that note, thank you everyone for joining us and stay tuned for our next episode.